So the Buddha's Parinirvana, what does it tell us? I'd like to talk about three things. Whether or not the Buddha really died, the importance of how the Buddha was in his lifetime, so that Ananda was to say of the Buddha, he who was so kind, and to thirdly, to share some reflections on death and the spur to practice that these can give. So I've already said that in the Buddhist tradition, uh, rather than saying that the Buddha died, we say that the Buddha attained parinirvana. So why do we say this and what does it mean? So we associate uh, Parinirvana Day with death and can think of it as the day that the Buddha died. But this is neither accurate nor an appropriate description. What Siddhartha Gautama realised when he became the Buddha, thus all things are conditioned, put an end to old age, sickness and death, which had been the motivation for his quest. What he realised not intellectually, but by way of direct perception, transformed him into a new species of being to whom birth and death no longer applied. So the death of the Buddha was not an ordinary death because the Buddha was not an ordinary person. His body, like all conditioned things, was subject to decay, but his mind was beyond birth and death. So this is why in the Buddhist tradition it's usually termed the Parinirvana. We don't say that the Buddha died, we say he attained Parinirvana. And Parinirvana means supreme enlightenment. When the Buddha attained Nirvana, enlightenment, some 40 years earlier, Nirvana here means Nirvana with remainder, which is because the Buddha still had a physical body. Parinirvana means nirvana without remainder, because the physical body is then no longer attached. And this is the only difference. And this difference affects other people, his unenlightened disciples, us. The nirvana is actually just the same. From the Buddha's point of view, there is no difference at all between the two states, nirvana or parinirvana. Before death or after death, the experience, whatever it is, and we cannot know or describe it, is exactly the same for the Buddha. So after the Buddha's parinirvana... Uh, his disciples seemed to fall into two groups of people. One who was satisfied with the Buddha's teaching and deeply interested in the doctrinal formulations. For them, this was the Dharma. And the other group accepted the Buddha's verbal teachings but felt that it wasn't the whole story, that his actual life and personality of the Buddha needs to be taken into consideration that as an enlightened being, what he did is as important as what he said. So the verbal doctrinal teachings gave expression to the Buddha's wisdom, 
but his life, his person, his activity gave expression to his compassion. So often we're being remembered for who we are. So Ananda was the Buddha's cousin and attendant for the last 20 years of the Buddha's life. And he's credited with having perfect recall. He's memorised the Buddhist teaching and he's intimately associated with the doctrinal teachings. But as far as Ananda was concerned, something else was more important to him. And as the Buddha was approaching death, Ananda was found weeping and saying about the Master being about to pass away from me, he who is so kind. And these words words are of great significance. Ananda must have heard hundreds of the Buddha's discourses, answered, hearing, hear him answer thousands of questions. He must have admired his brilliance, his affability, the ease with which he handled difficult questions, and witnessed the Buddha in many, many different circumstances. But Ananda was grieving for him who is so kind, not wise or enlightened or a brilliant debater or brave or tireless, but him who is so kind. So the Buddha's compassionate heart had to be taken into account as much as his wise mind. So I think we are remembered not so much by what we say, our great Dharma knowledge or whatever, but how we are, whether we are kind or generous. And I was um, rereading the uh, rejoicing in merits of one of our Sangha members, Glenn, who died recently, and there was um, a lot of rejoicing in the recent newsletter. And just looking through that, uh, people mentioned a few of the things that he did, but more often than not, they talked about his qualities. So... um, On the sheet in front of me, I've got about three of his actions and about 20 of his his qualities. So his quietness, his grace, his gentleness, his sense of humour, his directness, his wisdom, beauty, kindness, his dignified being, his noble being, the twinkle and sparkle in his eye, not taking two things seriously, his stillness, how helpful he was, reliable, capable, his simplicity and his generosity. And it really um, reinforced for me how we're remembered for who we are, not what we do. So I've been thinking quite a lot over the years about kindness. And kindness is a form of metta which is the basis of all the precepts. So to be kind, therefore, is to be moral, is to be ethical. To be kind, we have to be aware of other people. Um, On Friday, I went to see the film Invictus, that some of you may have heard about, about uh, Nelson Mandela and the 1995 rugby, is it World Cup? I don't know what they call it in rugby. And he was so kind to people in remembering the names of the rugby team, in the way he spoke to his tea lady, as depicted in this film. Um, 
how he... There'd been a, a, a... I'm just wondering how much to go into the film now, because some of you might want to go and see it. Uh, but anyway, uh, what shall I say? Just how important it was to him not to take away from people what they truly valued which in a particular instance was going against the stream and his kindness just shone through and um, and it was that awareness of other people so kindness has its basis in an attitude of abundance and richness, far removed from, from the material things which we often worry about. So kindness transcends egotism. Kindness is insight into reality, reality manifesting as kindness and compassion. So in a way, we don't need to think so much of, of insight, we just need to develop kindness. Kindness which by its nature is an awareness of others, which transcends egotism. Uh, I have said in a, another context recently about um, an order member years ago who went to see Dodo Rinpoche and asked him, how, how do we know whether our practice is effective? And his response was, if we're kinder each day. So we know that our practice is effective when we become more kind. And this is what Ananda saw in the Buddha. Time and time again, he who is so kind. So now uh, a few reflections on death and how they can spur us to practice. And I've mentioned already about how Bhante exhorts us to reflect about impermanence and death as part of our regular spiritual practice. And I think we can, if we do that, I think we can get glimpses of freedom in our everyday lives. So the Buddha's Parinirvana reminds us to renew our whole meditation practice in the light of the ever-present reality of death. In reality, in particular, it can spur us to take up meditation practices which are specifically concerned with death. However, any reflection that is concerned with death needs to be undertaken on the basis of a highly positive and clear mind and not from an attitude of unhealthy or morbid fascination with death. So, um, I mentioned this to somebody earlier. Uh, when I was, I was about eight years old, and we used to have a weekly local newspaper that would come through the door on a Friday, and... I would wait for the Ashton reporter to drop through my letterbox and go, I, I would go and get it and immediately turn to the death and the in memoriam pages. And I would spend a couple of hours reading these and 
sobbing and really it didn't feel like a morbid fascination with death it felt like a real compassion for the people who had died and the people who had been left behind in these verses of in memoriam and I, I still don't understand why as an eight year old child I did that but you know I did it for quite a long time and um, I was also saying that my mum went to the doctors about me but she thought it was rather strange um, <laughs> I had a very positive and this I did share this afternoon a very positive experience of witnessing my grandfather die uh, when I was 14 um, he'd been ill with cancer for years and um, I went to visit him and the, the bed had been downstairs for months and then at one point he just sat up in bed which he hadn't been able to do on his own for a long long time and started waving his arms about and uh, talking about a white light and the expression on his face was so beautiful after all the pain that he'd been in and I as a 14 year old at the other side of the room was mesmerised it was so beautiful and for that to be my first experience of death I actually I've been grateful for that throughout my life um, when I lived in London and my mum was well, she had a couple of periods of being in hospital and one night I had a phone call telling me to expect the worst and I caught the next train up to Manchester not knowing whether she would still be alive or not um, when I got here. And on the journey I just prepared myself that she would die that you know, if she was still alive at the hospital that she might die that week and that probably that time up here would be preparing for her funeral. And she didn't die. And I had very... I was shocked by my responses to that. And it was almost as though I felt cheated that I'd been prepared for her to die and then she hadn't. And it made me realise that death is not convenient and death does not discriminate and it it was very painful actually so as some of you know that I moved back here about four and a half years ago to look after my mum because I didn't want any regrets and I felt that I had to, a lot to learn about the dynamics between the two of us about old age, sickness and death and about the mystery of life and death and after she died, it's almost as though I loved her more in death than I had in life. And that feels a little bit odd to say, but it was because there was nothing more that I could do for her. In terms of um, the volitions, our volitions, our samskaras, these motivations that uh, have us doing what we do, uh, she is the author of her own future as it were well you know it's not her uh, as indeed we are the author of ours and there's nothing more that I could do for her except love her and it was like loving 
her who was no longer her, who was no longer my mother anymore. But all all I could do was love. Um, when I was thinking about just talking to you, I was reminded of uh, Vadradarshini, an order member who used to live at um, Tiratin Loka in South Wales where women preparing for ordination would go. And at the end of one of her talks on um, the Four Reminders, she talks about following through the process of her own death, of what it would be like after days, after weeks, after months, after years. And she envisaged her friends, their grief. She envisaged her work and people covering it and realised that everything will carry on, that life does indeed go on. And she ended up feeling really liberated by, by this sense, that she needn't be tied to what she's doing, that she's not indispensable, and she found that greatly liberating. For myself, um, one solitary retreat I did, there's there's a mantra called the Shunyata mantra, which Shunyata is often translated as void, and we can view it as being empty, uh, as though there's nothing there. But I've come to see it more as being full of no-thingness. And roughly translated, uh, the mantra translates as all things are empty, I too am, am empty. And this particular solitary, I was walking along the South Wales coastal path uh, for hours on end, and this mantra was going through my head. And as I walked, I just felt myself getting lighter and lighter and more joyful and unlimited and just this sense of, I don't have to be frightened, I don't have to be frightened of Shunyata, it's actually limitless, it's full. Um, and it flipped into, I don't have to be frightened of death, that... And I've lost that to to an extent. Um, well, what do I want to say? The more we reflect on death and impermanence, then something else can come through. Uh, and I'm just looking at these banners now, uh, freedom, the way, teaching, truth, uh, the more we know a truth, the more freedom we do experience. Um, I was struck by what Bhante says in Who is the Buddha? In the end, there is only a state of peace, a state of love, a state of wisdom. So whatever reflections we do about death, other people's death, our own death, 
meta and love feel uh, absolutely crucial to to those reflections. So this is a very short talk on uh, Parinirvana Day. So I've talked briefly about did the Buddha really die and what Parinirvana means. And I've talked about being remembered for who we are and the importance of kindness. And I've talked a bit about some of my personal and other people's reflections on death and the freedom and the liberation aspects that can ensue. And how that can spur us on to practice. And as the Buddha said to Ananda, maintain your practice and you will surely attain liberation from the defilements. And thus may it be so for us all, for the benefit of all beings.